Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue, your series-by-series check-in for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're an official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, which is part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And you can find us by searching for Bleed Cubby Blue on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us at Twitter, where we blast out each episode and related content at at Cup of Cubby Blue. I'm Sarah Sanchez, and I write about the Cubs at Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi guys, I'm Andy Cruz, Vienna Sack, and here we are talking about another series loss. I, not just a loss, like a sweep at home. <laughs> I know. Like I, I know. you under, you can't just call that a loss. That's like the home Cubs did not home Cub. Not even a little bit. Yeah, they were like. I don't. I mean, look, the Nationals are really good, and I, I'm gonna like be really transparent up top. I went to Iowa for a work-related uh, conference and basically was offline for the entirety of the weekend until, like, I walked into my house, right, as Kyle Schwarber was tying things up for the Cubs. And I was like, oh, hey, they're going to come back um, because I just got back home. And I was wrong. <laughs> um, but, Andy, what on earth happened to this team this series? Well, I mean, just to just to give you an idea, and we kind of you and I discussed this in our last podcast. Out of the three games in this series, we really had the first two pegged for more likely of the winnable games. Whereas how it ended up, game three actually was the more winnable game, which is kind of weird. But I mean, whatever. We'll talk about that. Game one. Oh my goodness. So. This was a disaster. And while the score says nine to three, those three runs were not scored until the bottom of the ninth. So we're looking at, uh, oh, let's see, going into the top of the ninth inning, it was eight to nothing. So it was pretty much over, I would say, about the fifth inning when it was seven to nothing I mean uh just that's ugly. crazy it was, was it just, just like yeah oh sorry continue no keep going keep going no you're fine it was just um there was a couple home runs a couple doubles um Lester just did not look great he had six earned runs gave up nine hits only struck out two only gave up one home run but still it was just and he only walked one but he was just he was he was getting beat up pretty good. I mean, and they were making really good solid contact. Like we said before coming into this series, this team was hot in fuego, on fire, ridiculous. And we needed our best performances from our pitching staff to slow these guys down and that just did not happen. Uh, yeah, it sounds kind of bad. I mean, are we worried about Lester? Does he seem like he's just going through one of his funks and he's going to come out of it okay? Or is something really up right now? I don't think so. I, You know, it's obviously it doesn't feel good to see him have a couple starts where it's not, it's uncharacteristically bad. Um, I just, I'm not there yet. You know, I've heard things of the, you know, is he just about done do you think he's gonna hang it up blah 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 I've heard things in that ballpark and I'm not ready to go there yet I don't I think September actually I, I'm gonna say I'm I'm hoping I 
really am banking on the fact that this team figures it out before it's too late. And I think a big part of that is going to be John Lester really getting his groove back. I don't think we've seen the, the, the best of John Lester yet. I think he's going to give us a couple more solid starts in September and hopefully finish on a, on a strong high note. You know, it is concerning, but like I said, I'm not, I'm not completely worried. I'm not really there yet. So I, my one theory here that I'm hoping might hold some water, you know, Lester has always been very particular about who catches him. Um, if you remember, that's why David Ross was a Cub in the first place. And Wilson Contreras has caught the vast majority of John Lester's starts uh, over the last couple of years since David Ross retired. I am hopeful that when Contreras comes back, that will settle him down a bit and maybe just give him a little bit of the edge that he needs to be back to what we're used to, which is, you know, John Lester getting it done, gritting it out and just being, being himself. Um so that's sort of my one like wild card factor there, although it's it's hard to see him struggle. Oh, definitely. But yeah, I can see that too, because that is something that you really grow accustomed to as far as who's catching you. And, you know, you grow together. It's kind of one of those things where you just know each other. It's just, you know, like communicating without actually communicating type situations. And if you don't have that connection with who's catching you, then it's a little hard to feel all the way comfortable in what you're doing and how you're pitching and your approach and everything. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's something I think that's probably very overlooked when, dis- when we discuss John Lester's performance since Wilson Contreras has been out. So, you know, there's so many reasons why we need that guy back in our lineup, but that definitely could be, you know, in the top three. Yeah. Speaking of Wilson Contreras. So the only thing that I knew about game two, the night that game two happened, I had like really intermittent Wi-Fi at this conference I was at that was in the middle of nowhere, Iowa. Um, and the uh, there was a moment the night that game two happened that I happened to have some Wi-Fi and I saw the complaints about the strike zone and I saw that Wilson Contreras had managed to get ejected <laughs> from the bench while on the injured list because he was so angry about this terrible blown call that uh, also got Ian Happ ejected apparently. But so here's my thing. I, just shout out. To Wilson Contreras, who will always be my favorite, and it's never going to be particularly close. Get you a catcher who will get himself ejected from the game when he's on the injured list, people. Not even a catcher, just a person. Just get you a person that will get ejected for you. Like, Sarah, I would totally get ejected for you. Oh, Andy. I mean, (laughs) I would get ejected for you any day of the week. Let me tell you, they did not know that this happened on Saturday while watching the game. It was not reported in a game broadcast until Sunday. So nobody even knew that that happened. Like I didn't see it on Twitter or anything at all on Saturday. So when they said that, like I had to rewind and listen to it again. I'm like, did they say what I think they said? But you know, it makes sense because he probably had um, an iPad or something in front of him where he saw that the pitch come in or was able to go back and look at it and saw how outside it was. So yeah, I'm sure that that probably really got him fired up that he was actually able to see, you know, and the umpire apparently told Hap that he guaranteed that was a strike. Well, and Hap's like, yeah, no, you're going to be wrong when you go back and look at that. That's, that's wrong. So I don't think that yeah. Wilson needed an iPad to see that one. I think he, just eyes. Eyes would do it. <laughs> you know, but it's bench. so hard to tell. It's so hard to tell when you're <laughs> like off eyes. to the side like that. 
That's why um, I don't like sitting on the, on those sides because it's hard to tell pitches that are inside and outside. You know, it's hard to get that perception. But yeah, I mean, as a catcher and sitting that close, I'm sure he probably could tell. Um, so one of the interesting notes that I saw in this game and, and full disclosure, I got that note about Wilson being ejected from an MLB.com article that was written by the Cubs beat reporter, Jordan Bastion. So that was why, that was why I saw it. And I, I have no idea what was announced during the game. Um, but he, that was where I saw it that night. Um, I also read, and you're going to have to tell me if this seemed, if this rings true or not, that after that ejection of Hap, after Wilson was ejected, Carapaza got real bad with the strike zone that it was like it almost seemed vindictive uh a hundred percent a hundred percent I said it a couple times I think um I read it on Twitter a couple times people were really taking notice to this I mean Kyle Ryan I think probably got the worst of it and he had three if not four pitches that were just beautiful pitches beautiful definitely inside the lower corner of the strike zone in the strike zone, over the plate, but like right, you know, I mean, inside that corner. And he was just, you could just tell his body language and everything. He was just like, come on, man. And even, I guess at that point, Lucro was behind the plate. Just, you could just tell they were getting very angry and it was, it, it was very vindictive. It was very much uncalled for. And he was, he was definitely getting at them and getting under their skin and, and you kind of felt like he was coming for him. So yeah, I don't like that. These guys have way too much control on games and it's not okay. Well, and they also just, look, I, we try hard not to just go after the umpires on this show and we get it. Both teams have the same zone, yada, yada. It evens out over the course of a season or whatever, or maybe it doesn't like, I'm not entirely sure that it does, but the, I am so frustrated with umpires having this much control and being bad at their job. Like, I just, and being totally non-transparent and not accountable about any of it. Like, we have no idea if anybody talked to Carapaza about that after the game. Does he get a follow-up memo that's like, hey, it kind of looked like your zone was vindictive. You missed all these calls and they only went one way. I have no idea because we will never hear anything about that. And it really frustrates me because, and I noticed it again, and I don't even know who was behind the plate during game three, because I was driving back from this conference at the time. I I was not driving. So I was like on my phone in the passenger seat, but I was watching the game basically on game day. And I have just a shocking number of screenshots from both the Cubs and the nationals on totally blown calls, (laughs) just like not close, causing strikeouts, messing up counts. And what I mean when I say causing strikeouts, if you don't follow my personal Twitter account, um, if, if a ball gets called strike one, that is four or five inches outside. And then a pitcher swings at strike three, that is four or five inches outside. That original blown call basically caused that strikeout, right? Because the only reason they have to swing at that pitch is because it was called a strike earlier in the count. And it's just, I I cannot get over how much that affects the game. Because those pitches cause weak contact if contact is made at all. It means that, the offense is all messed up and players don't know when they need to swing or when they can hold back and be selective about pitches. And I'm just over it. I'm so sick of watching this and I'm so sick of asking for robot umps and wishing that the strike zone could just be consistent for a season. Well, I'm so glad that you brought that up because um, part of 
I was listening to Len and JD on Sunday and part of what they were talking about with Haps um, called strike three that he got ejected for was, you know, there's so much controversy around, do you swing at a pitch? I mean, it was right at the right height. It was just outside, you know, an inch or two outside the plate. So do you still have to go after that because it's, you know, right at your knees or whatever, but the, or like too close to take or whatever. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But the thing is when they start calling those strikes, you really, they really go about changing a batter's approach and that, that should never be the issue. His approach should always be, you know, whatever his game plan is, he shouldn't have to tweak his approach because of a bad call. And that's basically what the ump is doing and they if you look at it that way they have way more control than we even give them credit for because they're basically manipulating the game like you said you have you call a bad strike then you're you know if you're down in the count then your approach changes as to what would be what you would normally swing at compared to what you're going to swing at And yeah, I mean, four strikeouts is one way to put it or, you know, calling a strike three and now, you know, Hap's going up there the next time and possibly going to swing at a pitch that looks just like that and strike out because he doesn't want to get rung up again in a huge situation that he was, you know, in the game on Saturday. So it just, it, it is not fun all the way around. And as much as I would never want to be an umpire, I just also don't understand how there is no accountability for their actions. There's no, I know they do file like post-game reports or whatever, where they basically just like an overview of how their shift quote unquote went. Um, oh, my kingdom for access yeah. to the umpire post-game reports. Right? I mean, I, seriously. Can I FOIA these? Like, is this something I can get access to? Because how much would I love, I, they're, they're probably not FOIAable. For those of you who don't know, it's a Freedom of Information Act request. I'm pretty sure it does not apply to private entities like MLB. But how cool would it be to just go through those and realize that like, wow, they like <laughs> blew all these calls and they found out about it and we have no idea whatever happens. Right, so right. <laughs> because most of the time, um, from what I understand, most of the time they do go back and review plays before they submit their report. So they do most of the time know if they were wrong or right on a play. And a lot of times, not that so much this season, but like last season, I remember there's a couple plays and even the season before where umpires issued apologies or went back and said that they were wrong on a play or wrong on a call. And I've not heard of that this year. So I almost wonder if that's something that they went in and said, please don't admit to fault or please don't admit that you were wrong or whatever else, you know, you're making your, your job obsolete by doing that. And, you know, do you remember situations like that? Go back and, you know, there was a couple of them when there's like a blown call before we had instant replay where they had a blown call, they'd go back in and look at it after the game. And clearly you could see someone was safer out one way or the other. Um, but you just don't hear about that anymore. You don't hear about umps going back in and admitting fault on any of these plays. And obviously, if they're watching the game or looking at Sarah's screenshots, they have to know <laughs> that they were in the wrong. Sarah's screenshots, TM. I'm going to trademark that. Just kidding. Yeah, um, the so aside from the umpiring, which which again, it was it was really really bad. The one that jumps out at me. Okay, I'm not moving on from the umpiring just yet because I have to talk about this. And admittedly, it's Cole Hamels at the plate, and he's like the pitcher, so he's probably not going to do great things anyway. But there, he took six different balls during this at bat, 
two of which were called strikes, one of which he had to foul off and one of which he missed. And I was like, but other ones were called balls and they were all the same pitch. They were all within like inches of each other, like literally just like dotting the same spot right outside and up on the zone. And I was just like, what is this pitch? Is it a ball? Is it a strike? Nobody knows. Cole Hamels doesn't know. Steven Strasburg doesn't know. Nobody knows if this pitch is a ball or a strike. And it was just like, I was so frustrated that, you know, that's a pretty important at that. There were runners on. I I don't know, man. They, they've got to do better. I mean, and the thing is, you know, these players get fined. You know that Wilson Contreras is going to get fined pretty mightily. Oh, I'm sure. For- Yeah, for being ejected from the dugout while being on the IL. So at what point does it become necessary and completely appropriate to put a fining system on these umpires? At what point? Like, I mean, I I get it. I get it. Nobody ever wants to admit fault that they're wrong, that they're bad at their job, and they're not doing the best job they could be. But there has to be systems for accountability for every job. And an umpire is definitely one where you feel like they're toying with their control. Like they're really letting it get to their head. And they're they're kind of just, you know, doing whatever they feel like doing, if it's right or not. Totally. Okay, moving on from umpires. So game three was almost good, aside from the umpiring. Um, I got home literally just in time to see the Cubs try to mount a comeback. Schwarber hit his 30th home run. And I have to random aside here for a second. If you don't follow Chris Kamka on Twitter, you definitely should. He's got all of the facts and, like, random history stuff about Chicago sports. It's great. But he tweeted out, here, here is a complete list of Cubs left-handed batters with multiple 30 home run seasons. Andy, are you ready? Yeah. Billy Williams. Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber. That's it. That's the list. I I mean, <laughs> it's so if cool. People, I know. If people don't appreciate the kind of baseball that we're getting to watch in Cubs uniforms these days, then they're just not paying attention because it's just, it's phenomenal. It's pretty cool to have two present day players on that very short list. Right. So that was pretty incredible. Um, The game itself was actually not. I really thought that uh, Nicholas Castellanos had ended this game. He hit a ball as deep as you can possibly hit it without it going into the basket. And the wind was just not blowing the Cubs way. And then Tyler Chatwood just couldn't hold it down in the 11th. Um, And the Cubs got swept, which, look, you're going to run into hot teams. It's going to happen. But you really want to be that hot team late in the season. And I... You know, I'm I'm pretty much an optimist. I try really hard to keep a smile on my face about the Cubs because there's a long half of the season, half of the year where I don't get to watch baseball. I'm a little nervous right now. Um, they did not look sharp in any way, shape, or form in this series, and they were basically playing for a playoff spot. And if that's the way they're going to play for the last 32 games, we have a we have a big problem, Chicago. Yeah, I totally agree. I think. Um... I'm kind of starting to come to terms with whatever direction this goes. And it, it, you know, you kind of feel like after that road, win, you kind of felt like they're turning the corner, things are going to go back to normal, good Cubs baseball. And then you see something like this and you just, obviously it's really hard to watch. It's not the team that we've seen all season. It was some really kind of sloppy loose baseball and the guys that you're used to seeing come through in situations are just not doing that. So 
I mean, something big has got to kind of happen in the next few days before we hit September 1st, flip that calendar over and figure out that we are in the final weeks of this season. And I mean, granted, we're only two and a half games back, but I mean, there's got to be some major improvements in pretty much every facet of this team to be able to even think that we stand a chance at multiple rounds of playoffs. I mean, two and a half games back, but the Cubs started this series with a game and a half lead on the Cardinals. And one of the things to keep in mind is that the Rockies did absolutely nothing to help the Cubs this weekend. The Cardinals swept them. Uh, It like totally reversed. Like it was like a reversing of the polls in the division. It was terrible. Um, But the Cubs now only have a game and a half wild card lead for the second wild card spot because they were in that wild card race with the Nationals and the Nationals jumped out to a full two game lead there. And it's just kind of like, so earlier today I published a piece on BCB that looked at the Cubs schedule for the rest of the season. Um, and there are a lot of observations that I had. I, you can go check out the piece. Um, but the thing that I want to want to flag, cause I updated a chart that I had made earlier this year where I sort of looked at the Cubs home and away win percentages and what I could expect for the rest of all of the NL central based on those home and away splits um, for the remainder of the season. And when I looked at this about a month and a half ago, it had the Cardinals one game ahead of the Cubs to finish off the season. So in that time period, the Cubs home and away win percentages have stayed basically the same. But if the season were to project out the way it has right now, the Cardinals would win the division by four games because the Cardinals have gotten red hot at the right time. And the Cubs have done nothing. They've just been flat. They've done nothing. (laughs) And it is infuriating to have players like Nicholas Castellanos heating up and doing really great things for this team. And they're not taking, they're not taking advantage of those bursts of energy they're getting in terms of actual wins. Yeah. I mean, I really, really hate stuff like this happening, especially with the fact that I live in St. Louis and people do not you know, the second they went into first place, you know, in August, the season started in March um, or April. Um, I, my my phone blows up. Everybody's in my face about it. And it's all the sudden fun and games in St. Louis. So it's really hard to watch St. Louis get hot and do what they've been doing and basically playing over playing teams that are rolling over and dying because, I mean, Colorado did nothing. They're currently beating Milwaukee nine to two on Monday. Yeah, the evening. Brewers look terrible. I mean, it's just it's this is so bad. So, as I've said many times in this podcast over this season, this is something where we have to take it into our own hands and just do what we can do. We can't count on anybody to beat anybody because right now, the wrong team that we did not want is now getting hot and. All of their guys are high. It's like all of them just decided they were going to go ahead and wake up. So, yeah, some of the guys, some of their guys that have not been producing this season have all of a sudden decided they need to start doing that. Um, some of the, their guys that had not been pitching as well are doing that. So, yeah, I mean, it's basically just going to come down to what we can figure out on our own and just get W's and not worry about who is getting L's and really we need to figure out some good baseball and we need to do it quickly because 
we would like, I also think that it's important to, to have some sort of momentum going into the end of the season. If you do have a chance at playoffs, otherwise it's going to be a very short season. Seriously. Like if the, if the Cubs team that played the nationals this weekend showed up for a wild card game in DC, I think it would be, we would be done. <laughs> that would I just would be over. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd have a really hard time watching that. Cause that would be, that would be really bad. And, and we love this team, y'all. Like, we want to see nothing but the best and a red hot everybody go on a run. But it just it, it didn't feel great this weekend with the Nationals. Um, all right. Speaking of getting hot and trying to take it to people and control your own destiny, we are going to take a quick break for our sponsors. But on the flip side, we're going to take a look at this upcoming series with the Mets and what looks to be a really interesting set of pitching matchups at City Field. All right, we are back. Um, so the Cubs are headed to New York for three games against the Mets. The probable pitchers are up on our little document, Andy. Um, it's it's not great, Bob. <laughs> Listen, I am fully aware of what this looks like on paper. I really am. It is I mean, we've been kind of looking at this since um, the, the start of the national series as probables from Sunday through this whole Met series. So this is not a shocker. We knew this was coming. It's just a matter of kind of going through the buzzsaw, if you will. Um, but however, you know, strange things happen. Baseball happens the unlikely can happen. So let's just not get all bent out of shape about what could happen in this series and just kind of let it play out. Um, our so, first Met, oh yeah, ahead. no, go ahead. No, that's, I was just going to do the, I was going to do no, the no, our first. I just wanted to talk about this matchup <laughs> because I think I find this particularly interesting. So you Darvish is um, not been his normal self um, he had a series of tweet exchanges with David Kaplan after his That was last awesome, start. by the way. Yeah, I thought that was totally outstanding. Was. I am it so totally here was. for Darvish firing back with advanced stats against Kaplan and like how many righties have hit his splitter all year. I thought that was incredible. I think, and you and I have discussed this a couple times, but I think he's just a lot more comfortable in his own skin. He's really taking on um, an identity with this team and he's letting his personality come out. And you know what? More power to you. Cause we've said this all along. We are not, we are not professional pitchers. Like we don't pretend to, to know the strategies behind these guys. And obviously you would like to think that they're doing everything in their power to put the best foot forward, but you know what? It's also a strategy. It's a game of strategy. And, you know, he seems like a very intelligent, smart individual that knows his stuff and knows his opponent. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. And I think he's going to go out there tomorrow and really give us a great performance. Now I've always been a Marcus Stroman fan. He, um, you know, he's had his moments, but he is a good pitcher and um, he, he's going to be a, a tough matchup. He's still his last start, though. He was pulled after only four innings with, uh, I believe it was hamstring tightness. So, um, you know, anything can happen, you guys. Seriously, anything can happen. It's not like we're putting, you know, these crappy pitchers up against the Mets. We're not. I mean, we have decent matchups. 
yes, their pitching staff is tough. And all of a sudden they've decided that they could be a playoff team. So, you know, it's just one of those things. If we're going to be a playoff team, if we're going to win any playoff games, we need to start beating these teams. And if it can't start now, then when the heck is it going to start? Uh, yeah, one note about you, Darvish. So I know his last outing was not particularly great, and the Cubs managed to come back. That was that wild game against the Giants, if you recall. Um, he still has not walked any batters <laughs> in like five starts, which is insane. He's only walked two batters since July 3rd. So basically since July 1st, because he didn't pitch earlier than July 3rd in July. Um, he has a chance to go two months, basically only walking two guys. And if he does that and can keep the Mets from hitting the long ball, I think he Darvish could have an outstanding outing here. I think that Tuesday's game, I'm looking for the Cubs to come out firing. I'm looking for them to come out strong and a little bit angry at what just happened to them at Wrigley field. And hopefully take this first game from the Mets game two is Kyle Hendricks against Thor, um, Noah Syndergaard. And I, I mean, could you imagine two more different pitchers than Kyle Hendricks and Noah Syndergaard? I mean, I kind of feel like they're both superheroes, but like they're completely opposite. You know what I mean? Totally. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, this is going to be a fun matchup too. Uh, their numbers aren't crazy different, but they are two very different styled pitchers. So it, it's going to be, it, it'll be nice if Hendricks can come out and just do what he normally does. And you know, I'm I'm always here for good pitching matchups. I really am. And I feel like this series is going to give us some of that. As long as our bats show up, you know, I don't think that this, this series will be as one-sided as I feel like people are thinking it will be. I mean, the, the pitching matchup names are just scary. When you see Stroman, Syndergaard, and DeGrom, that is like what you would expect to see in a playoff series, right? I mean, that is three very capable pitchers. Um, speaking of, I just previewed the third matchup. John Lester will take on Jacob DeGrom on Thursday night. And if Lester is Lester, if he's back to his old self, I, I mean, I really think that he could have a great outing here. He's had a much worse year than DeGrom this year, but you know, at any moment in time, I trust John to go out there and, and lock it in. So hopefully he can do that. I would love to see the Cubs take two of three here from the Mets. I think that that would be just what the doctor ordered. Yeah, and again, you know, just to reference back to the the national series where we said games one and two were very winnable games based on pitching matchups, and game three was, you know, more of what we would consider um, an overmatch by their their pitcher going against. Um, I just completely drawn blank. Strasburg. Yeah. Um, I really like I like our our odds in this in these matchups. I really do. Uh, Stroman again, you know, left his last start is very eager to face the Cubs. Sometimes that backfires. Sometimes that works against you. So I just, I really like how our guys should approach this series. As far as if we're going to be a playoff team, then we have to show up. Like we have to start somewhere. We have to do something different. They won a road series right before they were home. So it's not impossible. <laughs> they it won is, a road series. They did. It was, it was pretty, it was a road win. We're not going to talk about against who or when the last time they did that and all that nonsense, we're just going to focus on the fact that they did it and it can be done. So let's not forget about that. I am also trying to be positive Patty right now because otherwise it's way too easy to focus on the negative. There has been some, some very 
good things that have happened for this team. So I just hope that they can find that again in New York. Yeah, I mean, the Mets at one point in time this season were very dead, and now they are very not dead. And the Cubs are going to have to figure out a way to deal with that. You know, I also, before every series, I have a tendency to look up over the last two weeks how hitters have been doing. And I just I just want people to know the Mets have some really hot hitters right now. Um, Pete Alonzo, he who hits like all of the home runs and they go very far. Uh, Ahmed Rosario, Juan Lagares, and Wilson Ramos are all having really good at-bats for the Mets right now. The Cubs pitchers are going to have to focus on keeping those guys under control and not giving up, you know, all the home runs to Pete Alonzo, who already has over 40 home runs this season. It's an NL rookie record, which is kind of crazy. Um, And the Cubs' bats have not been that great. Uh, Only Rizzo, who went, who left, was it Saturday or Sunday's game with back tightness? Saturday's he, game, right? He left Saturday's game and did not play Sunday. Yeah. So only Rizzo and Castellanos have a WRC plus over a hundred and over a hundred right now in their last two weeks. And that is, I mean, everybody else is hitting below average is basically what that means. Um, so you'd really like to see Rizzo come back and help out the team. Hopefully his back is okay. And then Castellanos just continuing to the Castellanos and I, I, you know, whatever that man is bottling and drinking with his whole, like, it's always opening day thing. Please pass some out to the rest of the team. <laughs> I would like, oh, no, no joke. Jeez. Opening day energy at City Field, please. I mean, it is, it's not even funny at this point. And one thing I really want to um, kind of keep an eye on and hope that this is something that is just a fluke and we eventually see him come back to himself is um, Javier Baez. He, and, and the numbers have, have said it and I've heard it be talked about on a couple different broadcasts and MLB TV. And if he falls off, the Cubs offense kind of falls off and that's kind of the direction that the numbers have gone in. So we need him to come back to uh, himself and, focus on good at bats you know I've seen him swing and be off balance at a lot of pitches that he had gotten really good at laying off of and now it you just kind of feel like there's maybe a little sense of desperation and I don't know I don't like it I I I really want them to go back to having the good long at bats and working counts and you know just playing good solid contact baseball rather than swinging for the fences every at bat Yeah, I agree with that. I was really heartened to see Javi take that walk ahead of Schwarber's 30th home run on Sunday. I thought that, you know, that indicated to me that his approach had changed a bit. We all know that Javi does not take unintentional walks very frequently. So I thought that was a really good sign. But I I agree. They just need to get back to the situational hitting that they can do so well, but they don't do it consistently. Um. A couple other things to just keep in mind around the league. Uh, as Andy mentioned earlier, the Brewers are currently in the middle of a three-game set against the Cardinals, and the Cardinals are absolutely smashing them in the opener right now. It is currently 9-2 to two in the bottom of the fifth. Uh, but we are all Brewers fans this week, people. Like, I don't care what you think of Milwaukee. We need Milwaukee <laughs> to take two of three from the Cardinals and stop that Cardinals team from what they've been doing recently because they are just – kind of out of control right now 
I mean, so I want to go back to a word that you use that I've kind of been thinking about a lot lately and not talking about the Cardinals. I'm talking about the Cubs, but this team has been so consistent. They've been so consistently inconsistent. And like, that is one thing that you and I, I feel like we're constantly on a roller coaster. Like it's just, you know, they're, our highs are so super high and our lows are so super low. Like I kind I I'm happy that we don't have even kill baseball because I feel like that wouldn't be quite as exciting, but I just, I, I kind of hope that was our low and now we can bounce back up and September can just all be up. And then we don't have to worry about the seven head to head games against Cardinals in the last two week of two weeks of the season, because those are going to be nerve wracking enough. Um, well, I, I'm actually grateful for those games. And let me tell you why. Like, and I understand they're going to be nerve wracking. I have tickets to three of those games right now, and I am already kind of freaking out about it. Um, but those games are a blessing because the Cubs currently have 23 of their remaining 32 games against NL Central teams. And 14 of those 32 games are against the Brewers or the Cardinals, which means the Cubs really control their own destiny. And there is the potential for a lot of volatility in this division. Anybody could win this division right now if they can just catch fire for their series against their divisional rivals. And I would love to see the Cubs do that. If they can really take it to the Brewers and the Cardinals, they can bust out a serious divisional lead and then they don't have to worry about the wild card game and they don't have to worry about going to play a hot national team in DC. They can just win the division outright. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit scary, I guess, because you don't want them to be in a position where the opposite could happen and they just peter out and can't get anything done. It was a lot more comfortable in 2016 and 2017 when they had massive leads in the division and we didn't really have to worry about this in September. But frankly, now's the time, boys. Get hot, win games, control your own destiny. That's it. I mean, it's really that simple. And and it's not like the talent's not there. We know the talent is there. We haven't seen, and we probably won't see everybody hot at the same time. So it just takes the right combination of pitching and offense and put it together, string together some wins, and let's get this thing back on the right track. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so that is what we are looking for with this Mets series. We will be back at you on Thursday night to talk about what happened in the Mets series and to look ahead to a three-game set against the Brewers. One other show note just before we sign off here. uh, Tomorrow night, on Tuesday night, I'm going to be joining the Mets podcast, A Pod of Their Own. And if you want to hear some more uh, Mets-Cubs coverage as a game is happening in the background, uh, I will make sure to tweet that out from the at Cup of Cubby Blue Twitter account. Speaking of, if you're looking to follow me or Andy on Twitter, you can find me at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at at B-R-Y-Z underscore Blue uh, at, at Briz Blue. And we are always talking Cubs all the time. So until Thursday, you can check out all of our Cubs banter on Twitter. Have a good one and go Cubs. Beat the Mets. Bye.